Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. We have a very special episode today focusing on tennis for the adaptive community and what that might look like in the post-COVID-19 environment. And we have three of my favorite people joining me on this podcast today. We have Danielle Gooding, who is the Director of Community Tennis for USTA Florida. We also have Ron Lyons, who is our Diversity and Outreach Coordinator for USTA Florida. And we have a new face on the podcast, which is Lisa Pugliese-Lacroix. And Lisa is a speech and language pathologist. She also is a USPTA certified tennis professional and the founder of Love Serving Autism, one of our great partners. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's nice to have all of you here today to talk about one of my favorite top topics. So my first question is really for all of you to answer, and that is what makes tennis a great adaptive sport and what drives each of you to serve athletes in this space. So I thought I would start maybe with Danielle. Why don't you tell us what you think? Well, thank you, Laura, for, for holding this uh, podcast. Uh, it's such a great topic. Um, so obviously tennis is a sport of a lifetime. I just think it's something that everyone can play at any age and we've seen it through the years. Um, so I think it's important for us as a sport to introduce uh, the sport to all kinds of populations and to also show the innovative changes that have been made to the sport to allow everyone to learn the sport in a very fun and easy manner. So I, I see the sport um, being part of the adaptive space because there are other opportunities with other sports and it's important for us as a governing body to make sure that we're part of those opportunities. Excellent. Ron, what are your thoughts? What do you think makes tennis a great adaptive sport? And what's, what has driven you to take on this role and really serve athletes in this space? Well, for me, tennis is such an adaptive sport because it can accommodate any skill level and anyone. Um, with the coaching techniques, the different equipment that we have in the tennis world, it's so easy to accommodate everyone. What has driven me to take on this role is basically my passion for working with these individuals, just seeing them smile all the time, working the hardest, cheering the loudest. That is really just taking me to a point where I'm like, oh my God, I wanna do this every day. I wanna be around them every day. This is really exciting for me and it motivates me in my personal life and also my professional life. So that's what drives me. Awesome. Elisa, you have an interesting story because you are a top tennis player. Uh, you're a top player in the nation, top college player. And so typically this isn't a path that somebody who's a top tennis professional would follow. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the adaptive space and maybe what prompted you to start Love Serving Autism? Thank you, Laura. Um, it's a wonderful question. I, I have to say when I was younger, I did not know I would be working with adaptive programming, but um, it's truly a blessing to me because when you're younger and you're, you know, you're performing and competing, it's about winning tennis matches. And, and now, you know, I, I ended up due to an injury, you know, I became a speech and language pathologist and um, 
connected the two and and I'm so thankful for the opportunity. You know, I think tennis is great for individuals with autism because it's visual, it's repetitive, um, it's kinesthetic. They, it meets a lot of their, um, not gonna be too therapeutic here, but it meets a lot of their, you know, gross motor, fine motor skills, social skills. So it's really like going to a therapy session, but you're on a tennis court. And I've seen such progress. Um, it, it changed my life. It changed my perspective on the sport, really. Um, when I first met, when I met my first child with autism through tennis, when I, you know, uh, volunteered for a national nonprofit. So again, um, I'm I'm truly so excited. And and we thank you, USC Florida and Laura and the team for partnering with us. It it means the world to us. So um, thank you for your support. Oh, well, you inspire us. So when you started Love Serving Autism and we first were introduced to it, you know, it really gave us an additional avenue to serve the adaptive po uh, population. But our work in this area actually started a number of years prior um, via a partnership we originally had with Special Olympics Florida. Um, so uh, Danielle, I wanted to see if you might talk a little bit about our partnership with Special Olympics and maybe what guidance they've been providing to us during this COVID-19 pandemic. Sure, that's a great question. Um, so it was around 2014 that uh, USA Florida, uh, Special Olympics Florida, and the USA Florida Foundation solidified its partnership. Um, and just so uh, our viewers know, the USDA Florida Foundation is the charitable arm of the section. So through the foundation and through the section, we um, provided grants to Special Olympics um, local programming. We provided uh, opportunities for facilities, for providers to be trained. Um, this partnership allowed us to work with um, the experts at Special Olympics to understand how we can formulate our training for volunteers and for our coaches. It was very important that we uh, learn from them and then we take what we learned and then provided a resource for the, the state of Florida's coaches and volunteers. I think, um, Laura, you have made the section such a great resource in terms of information, in terms of guidelines that we can help um, providers. And through that training, um, facilities have understood that they can uh, serve a population that can also uh, be part of their business model um, and also be rewarded with the fabulous um, uh, feelings of teaching tennis to a new population. So I think it was such a win-win, this whole partnership. Excellent. And what kind of uh, guidance has Special Olympics been providing on, you know, what tennis play should or should not be happening in the COVID-19 environment? You know, our audience might not know, Danielle, what, what they've been saying out there, and it might be helpful for them to know where Special Olympics is at right now. Yes. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, um, challenging for us as a section, just in terms of return to play, making sure that our players in the state of Florida and our providers are setting environments that are safe to return to play. Now, with the Special Olympics um, athletes, uh, we, we really need to follow their guidelines in terms of the organization, and they are in turn are following the international guidelines. So it's a very measured um, effort. And the, the guidelines that they're providing to us 
um, really have to do with a, a timeline, a, uh, a phased in approach that has more to do with how many people on court, um, uh, who, what are the sports that can be sort of the trial sports. So they determine that tennis and golf are the sports that they want to sort of make as the test for phasing in. Um, and then based on um, just the timeline that they originally had, um, they were looking at maybe 30 days out of solidifying the, the guidelines, the safety guidelines, and then implementing that through training with their volunteers and their coaches. Now, uh, we are going to follow what they want us to do because we're not just going to go out and say, okay, Special Olympics programming can start. No, we need to know that we have the right amount of people in terms of volunteers, in terms of equipment, what do we need to do with the equipment, and then the number of athletes on the court. Awesome. Those are all good parameters, and it's really nice to have a partner like Special Olympics that has a medical advisory committee like USTA does, and that they're very much you know, in tune with doing this on a safe and slow basis. I wanted to shift to you, Ron, real quick to talk more specifically maybe about some of the programs we're running for tennis. Um, can you tell me, you know, a little bit about how the pandemic has maybe affected our local adaptive programs and even the state games, which we, uh, you know, had to postpone this year and is typically held in May. So where do you see it from a tennis, you know, Special Olympics Florida tennis program and state games perspective? Definitely. So right now there are no Special Olympics tennis programs taking place at this time. So Special Olympics Florida, they're communicating with Special Olympics International and also the CDC just to make sure that they're following the proper guidelines so that they can better assess the situation. So right now there are no tennis programs happening in the state. Um, as far as our state games goes, yes, it was postponed, but we want to make sure that it's better than ever next year. So what we're doing is we are communicating with Special Olympics so that we can offer more training videos for our uh, trainers, our staff, our volunteers, everybody, just to make sure that in the future, this is going to be a great event for our Excellent. So Lisa, I'm going to come back to you now. Um, sure. I know you also follow the Special Olympics Florida guidelines for your programs, but I wanted to get your perspective as a specific provider. Can you tell us how the COVID-19 environment has affected all the programs that you oversee and what types of considerations would your providers need to make uh, before they bring athletes with autism back to the tennis court? Absolutely. So um, in mid-March, we stopped all of our in-person clinics. Um, we did transition to virtual tennis um, and we've been continuing the virtual tennis platform every week for the red, orange, green ball uh, program participants. So all of the all of the children and adults are welcome to log in to join our classes. So this is the model that we have started and we will continue. In addition, um, you know, I was doing some research earlier about the, the percentage of children and adults who have immune, you know, they might have some immune compromised um, or related disorders in addition to autism. And it's approximately 45% um, have like gastrointestinal and just comorbidity, which means they may have autism and something else. So 
that's another reason why we really need to take our time and assess the situation and some of some of the modifications we will be making um, obviously we're collaborating with special olympics and in ust florida i'm also on the ust national adaptive training and education committee um, we did collaborate um, across the country with a few adaptive programs and um, I received a rough draft today of the protocol. So it's it's very similar. Um, a lot of it focuses on the cleaning of equipment, social distancing, the number of children and adults on a tennis court. Um, it also uh, discusses um, parent support, like if a child needs physical prompting on the tennis court and they have autism, instead of, because uh, we may have to limit the number of volunteers as well. So a parent may be able to go on the court now and really work with their child one-on-one -on -one versus before, you know, they were more on the sidelines watching the tennis clinic. So I think there'll be more parent engagement. Um, you know, other specific, you know, potential temperature checks, um, coaches, uh, everyone wearing masks to and from tennis. Um, you know, we'll have a sign signage like we discussed before with the, the new protocol. And, and I think, I think it's just a matter of we, we will continue the virtual. So I think it will be more of like a hybrid platform where we'll have in-person clinics and smaller classes and continue to offer the virtual for the families who feel more comfortable with that model. Excellent. You know, I'm glad you brought up the virtual classes. Uh, this was one thing that I think very few tennis providers were actually doing before. And we weren't thinking of it either. In fact, just last week we added a plug into our website calendar that shows virtual uh, training and classes. And that idea actually was prompted by you and the fact that you were running these virtual classes. And we realized that we needed a better way for people to be able to find those um, because there wasn't a lot going on in person. So I wanted to have a chance just to ask you a little bit about how those classes have been received by uh, the participants with autism and their families. And do you think that even when we're back in a normal environment, if we get to that point, that this will become part of what we offer, um, not just for the adaptive population, but just in tennis in general, do you see this as something that will continue? Definitely, you know, when, when we originally experienced COVID, I thought what a setback it was to our programs. And, and now I see the benefits of actually kind of pushed us in a new direction and open up an additional, like we said, virtual platform. So I, as far as the feedback, you know, um, the families, um, they're consistently logging in every week. We have a Saturday class for all levels, red, orange, and green ball. And then Sunday, we're having more of an advanced class for the students who maybe more repetitions. It's a little bit more intense with the physical fitness. And um, I think the students that program participants love to log in, see all their friends. Um, it's part of their new routine. We've been doing it now what, for three months. And uh, we created a visual schedule so they know what to expect when they log into tennis. And um, I think it's just been extremely beneficial because it provided that that component of connection again to the sport. And I'm and I'm proud of those families because you know they had to demonstrate great resiliency during this time because, as you know, you know children and adults with autism are very rigid with their thinking. Everything's very logic based, and they didn't really initially understand why are we switching to tennis on the computer, but um it's opened so many doors to the fact we've had families you know log in from california from north carolina from new york we've had coaches from across the country log in just to see you know what are we doing how can we assist so it it opened up like like i said a lot a lot of opportunities for us um 
it is different obviously than tennis on a tennis court but it's modified and and i think you know we may switch like i said to this mix of a hybrid where a child may log in one week and do zoom you know and the next week they go to an in-person clinic and then they can alternate back and forth so i think um it's been a wonderful opportunity for us and they seem to enjoy it and the parents say the children are you know every saturday they're ready to log in so <laughs> it's been so far i guess you know positive a couple of kids will log in now and say when are we going back to tennis you know they're ready to see a tennis court but they'll you know they understand what COVID is and they understand that it's safer right now doing this and they just you know persevere and continue on so <laughs> Well, they uh, definitely know how to be resilient. And I will say that our staff who have been working with you, I've heard nothing but positive comments and I appreciate you giving them an opportunity to help you for any providers that are out there. If, if you are interested in working and helping Lisa out as a volunteer on these classes, I know that our, our team has really enjoyed every minute of it. And it might be a great way just to tune in and learn about some of the differences with working with uh, athletes with autism. You can kind of see the types of things that Lisa does and, and just how amazing she is at running these classes. So to me, um, it's it's a great training tool also. So thank you for letting us participate and be a part of it. Thank you. So my last question is the toughest question for all of you, because I'm going to ask you to kind of look into your crystal balls here and say, when do each of you, if you had to guess or had to kind of take an educated guess, when do you think adaptive programs would return to the tennis court and what can we do at USTA Florida to be the best possible resource for those providers, players, and their families? So Ronald, I'm going to start with you this time and see what you think. So honestly, I don't think COVID is really going anywhere. So I think right now, uh, we can't really make those decisions until the experts like Special Olympics Florida, Love Serving Autism actually come up with those guidelines that Lisa talked about earlier, and then we can better assess the situation. So right now, I don't think that we can actually give a date. Well, I can't. Um, <laughs> I think as long as we continue to train and educate and support and give those virtual engagement opportunities, the families are going to be happy, the participants are going to be happy, and our providers are going to be happy. So, That's a great answer. Danielle, do you have anything you would add to Ron's answer? Yeah, you know, Ron and I, uh, we had a really good conversation um, with Special Olympics Florida, and, you know, we understood how they felt about uh, COVID is here to stay. I'm going to quote Van Coley, COVID is here to stay, and we can't have false starts. And I think we're seeing how false starts may have um, put us in a situation where we were ready to almost uh, restart and return to play, get these wonderful athletes back on, on the court or into a, a program, and now we're sort of having to take a step back. So, okay, so we readjust, and um, I think we can maybe keep pushing that date. You know, if it's not August, is it September? Uh, keep track of the data, keep track of what Special Olympics International and Special Olympics Florida are comfortable in doing and what the other sports in Special Olympics are doing as well. So I, I you know what, I'm, I'm gonna say fall, um, just with my fingers crossed. 
I like that. That's a good optimistic answer. All right, Lisa. So you get, you've heard those answers. So <laughs> <laughs> you get to have um, our, our final thought of what, what is your, what are your guts telling you about when we might be able to get um, some of these programs back on the, the court? Initially, I, as of a few weeks ago, um, before the increase of COVID, I was hoping for August. Um, now in my mindset, I'm thinking September with my fingers crossed as well. Um, but the, the, the beneficial, you know, what, like what I was going to say is we have virtual tennis. So even if we open a few, a few smaller programs in person, not the larger ones, but the smaller ones, just to get those going, just to kind of pilot the process and, you know, what, so we don't have to open all of our programs at once, but one at a time. And that's kind of something that I foresee in addition to saying, okay, well, if you're comfortable going back in person, if I have six children on a court with one coach, okay, fine. And then the other program participants are welcome to stay on virtual. So I just think I'd like to do one step at a time and not rush the process. Like Daniel said, I, I really, you know, would not like the false start. I would like to move forward with success. And, and it's, it's important for us to ensure um, that we're protecting the families and the children and, and the coaches and the program directors and volunteers. They want to feel like we have their best interests at heart. So I, I would like to continue to work with our team here in Special Olympics USC Florida. And that's my answer for now. <laughs> I think those are all great answers. You know, we're going to follow the experts and what they say. We're very hopeful for the fall and we're not bringing everything back at the same time. I think you guys nailed it on those three key items. And I think that we will stay true to that. And, you know, whenever we do have the programs back, you know, we'll continue to provide all the support that we possibly can. If there's new training, new education that needs to be done, you know, our job is to be the best resource and partner possible to you and to also Special Olympics Florida. So thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you for all of the work that you're doing in this area. It makes such a difference and it, it gets me excited uh, to come to work every day. So thank you all for that. And thank you all for joining me for the podcast today. Thank you, Laura. So for those of you who are listening to this podcast and the audio only version, be sure to visit USTA Florida's Facebook page and Instagram channel where you can see the video portion of this podcast and you can also leave your comments, questions and thoughts for us and to see all of the upcoming episodes of the Here to Serve podcast, including dates and topics, visit USTAFlorida.com slash here to serve. Thanks for tuning in and have a wonderful day.